You know, I needed all those things that I thought I was, I was like, oh, that won't happen to me. You know, that I was immune. It's like, wow, all those things happened to me. Everything I judged, I became. Everything that I thought that wouldn't happen to me happened to me. And it's like the bottom kept, you know, it was like, the, it was like those magic rooms where you think there's a bottom and it drops out. It's like a false bottom. And it's like another bottom. And then there's another, you know what I mean? It just got, it was like, and also people stopped fixing me. They were over it. They were just like, fuck you. You know, I'm done trying to fix you or do it for you. That was Amy Dresner. And this is the share podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today we have Amy Dresner joining us on the show, the author of My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. She's raw, she's gritty, she drops almost as many F-bombs as I do. No, probably more. <laughs> this episode is off the chain. So if you've got issues with how many times I say fuck in an episode, then this is probably not the episode for you. We drop a ton of F-bombs on this episode. We get raw, we get gritty, we get real. But at the end, we talk recovery. So fasten your seatbelts, it's time to lock and load. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by ShareSpace, the empowerment network. If you're at a crossroads in your life and have come to the realization that you need a change, a real change in your life, it could be that you've lost confidence in yourself. It could be that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to find the way to stop drinking. On the outside, it looks like everything's fantastic. Maybe you've got a great career a beautiful marriage, beautiful kids, and yet you're unhappy. Maybe you worry more about what other people think about you than how you think about you, how you see yourself. If you've dug a hole for yourself and you just can't seem to find your way out, then ShareSpace may just be the perfect place for you. My name is Omar Pinto. I'm the host and the founder of the Share Podcast and the founder of ShareSpace, the Empowerment Network. I'm a recovery coach and a life coach. I have 20 years of business experience, 15 years of recovery experience, and 47 years of life experience. I help people reclaim their identity, tap into their authenticity, and rediscover their purpose in life. For more information and for a 15-minute free, no-obligation consultation with me, go to www.sharespace.net. Remember, share is spelled S-H-A-I-R, and sign up today to find out if ShareSpace is the right fit for you. Share space. It's time to believe in yourself again. And for those of you that are looking for the perfect recovery gift to give to yourself or to a friend in recovery, then go to www.allrecoveryrings.com. At All Recovery Rings, you can have any recovery medallion beautifully transformed into a ring you can wear on your finger. All you need to do is select the medallion of your choice, Submit your ring size, and All Recovery Rings will create the perfect ring for you. So go to www.allrecoveryrings.com and order your recovery ring today. And if you'd like to support the Share Podcast by making a donation, then go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R. Go to the top right corner of the website where it says donate, or click on any of the yellow donate buttons throughout the website and make your donation today. 
And for those of you who love listening to the Share podcast and want to enhance your recovery, then join us in our Share Facebook private group, the Share Recovery Network. In this free Facebook private group, you will meet thousands of people in recovery that are loving, caring, and being of service. If you're struggling in your recovery or you're struggling in life, then this might be the perfect place for you. The purpose of the Share Recovery Network is to discuss recovery in all of its facets and all of its pathways in a way that is attractive and all-inclusive. So to join us in this Facebook private group, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R Recovery Network, and our private Facebook group will pop right up. So join us today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of kick-ass reviews, our next review is from Kate Lesmer, and the title is Save My Life. I started listening to this podcast in 2016, just before I got sober. It truly was the support identification that I needed to get help for my alcoholism and to get me into meetings after 20 years of knowing I had a problem. I'm so grateful for Omar, who personally responded to me when I reached out and shared my story via email after listening to the show for weeks. I truly felt like he would understand my situation more than even my friends or family, and he did. I am so grateful for this podcast, all the guests who have shared along the way. Even though I'm nearly two years sober, I still listen to new episodes whenever I can to remind me of where I have been and what I have to be grateful for in my recovery. Yesterday, I caught another episode that brought me to tears. It never ceases to amaze me by all the beautiful and courageous stories in recovery circles and especially on this podcast. Oh, you are such a force. Thank you. Kate, I love you so much. I remember that email that you sent me two years ago. And for those of you listening right now, I interviewed Kate last week and her story is unbelievable. I cannot wait to share it with all of you. So look out for Kate's story coming soon. And Kate, I love you, sweetheart. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you so much for trusting in me. HP, baby. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Amy, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling all right. <laughs> you know, being in recovery, you get to feel all your feelings. So it's a bit like, woo, you know? Oh, yeah? Maybe that's just my mood disorder. All right. So tell us exactly how you're feeling today. Um... I've been in a little bit of a funk, to be honest with you, you know, but um, what I've learned from program is to just, yeah, you know, you show up anyway. I, I like that. You don't let your feelings dictate your actions anymore. You know, it's like, I do what I need to do. I show up to meetings. I show up to, for my sponsees. I show up to podcasts. I, you know, do what I need to do. I get my eyelash extensions done for you. Hello, <laughs> whatever, you know, I mean, I just do what I need to do. I don't, you know, mope around. It's like if you wait to feel ready to do anything, you'll you wait forever, you know. And your feelings change all the time, so it's like you got to just stick to action and you know stay on course. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, folks, just so you know, uh, today we have Amy Dresner joining us on the Share Podcast. 
Amy is a former professional stand-up comic, having appeared at the Comedy Store, the Laugh Factory, and the Improv. Since 2012, she has been a contributing editor of the online addiction and recovery magazine, The Fix. She's also written for The Good Men Project, The Frisky, Refinery29, and has been a regular contributor to Addiction.com and PsychologyToday.com, where she has her own addiction blog entitled Coming Clean. My Fair Junkie is her debut book, and that is what we're going to be diving into today. Now, does that sound about right, Amy? That sounds right. All right. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so good. good, good. Well, to expand on that, you know, and my listeners, what's the skinny? Like, what's real? Like, what, what do people go through? You know, I'm the host of the Share Podcast. I've been doing this for three years. Uh, you're someone, what's your clean date? Uh, January 2nd, 2013. 2013. So you've got, you just five, celebrated five years. five years. Okay. Five years. And it's not my first, not my first time around. Not, not my first rodeo, as they not, say. Okay. Not my no. first rodeo. For but, me, yeah. Relapse has been a big part of my, uh, of my story. I've been in and out for 20 years. I've had big chunks of clean time and then I just eat shit again and then I you know, come back, but I keep coming back. And I think that's a big, I think that's, what's really important is that you just keep coming back and you don't like get caught up in the hierarchy of the rooms or clean time or what people think about you. Like, Ooh, I got to be queen of the drunks. What are people going to think about me? It's like, fuck that. You know, you're here to save your life. It's like, you're not in competition with anybody else. And so I just keep coming back and finally kind of stuck, but I had to sort of lose everything for to have a real shift that I needed. Some of us are stubborn like that. I know. I know. But that's one of the reasons why when you mentioned, you know, I'm okay. Right. Here's someone who is an author, who is successful, who has just launched a book, you know, has been doing a bunch of podcast interviews, uh, has got five years clean, you know, and you're kind of like, I'm all right, right? So I want the listeners to know that it's okay, that every, that it's not always going to be, you know, rainbows and orgasms. It's not at all. Life (laughs) is still in session, you know, and you, and you're, unfortunately, you have to feel every single fucking thing. You know, there's no numbing it out except napping. That's my new thing. I'm going to start Napaholics Anonymous. I'm serious. When I just can't deal, I just unplug. I'm like, fuck this. I'm turning my brain off and I just fucking go to bed. People are like, you sleep a lot. I'm like, that's why I look young. Fuck you. You know, that's why I look young. But, um, you know, it beats putting a needle in your arm or, you know, no, you know, getting on Tinder fucking some 25 year old in the backseat of your car or whatever <laughs> other other bad coping mechanisms i used to use <laughs> used to use <laughs> you know no i've been celibate since my breakup i've been celibate since my breakup in april i got i got yeah i was a i was a sex addict and then i fell in love and i got my heart broken and i've been sort of closed for renovation since i've been really promoting the book working on the book and um the promotion part which is so, oh, as a writer, it's really uncomfortable to be like, buy my book. You know, it's very Garmento Jew, you know, hey, buy my book. I hate it. I hate it so much. But it's part of it. You have to do it. You have to do it. I so get it. I so get it. So, yeah, life is in session. And it's like, you know, uh, I mean, a big reason I used was because I had big feelings and I was and I am sort of depressive. So I liked, you know, meth and coke and stuff that sort of made you go up. You know, I was like, oh, this is like Prozac with wings. This is the shit. Why aren't psychiatrists giving me this works way better than any of the antidepressants? Hello. Except you get epilepsy and lose your teeth and, you know, go dumpster diving and other bad stuff happens. But 
We'll get into that. We'll get yeah. into that a little bit later. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is it's like, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable and to feel, and you know, to feel that and not do anything about it. That's what I've really learned in sobriety. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to pass and I can feel my feelings and do nothing about them. Well, other than the napping. It's a real problem. I don't know. Oh, it's a real, it's a real fucking problem. I don't see anything fucking wrong with a nap. <laughs> I'm a, I, Maybe I'm I, Dude, I'm, I I would I will gladly become a prominent member member of Napping Anonymous. Napping Absolutely, I'm down All with right. it. Will you co-chair with me? Yes, co-chair? yes. Okay, and cool. I consider that a life hack. So, <laughs> as far as and self care. So, what other self care life calf, life hacking sort of rituals do you have other than the napping? I recently started meditating again. Finally, mm-hmm. I had stopped because it made me feel too good which is so alcoholic, isn't it? Right? Like, I feel too good. I'm going to stop doing what's working. That's so what we do. That's crazy talk. You don't identify with that? And I, I absolutely identify with that, but it's crazy talk. What, you know, I mean, I no, know. no, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. But it was feeling right? so good, you stop. Yeah. I was like, um, so I finally got back into that, like uh, meditating and um, other self-care. I get massages. I get like cheap massages okay. for like 30 bucks and have someone who doesn't speak English rub me down and just like, ah, oh, you know, and I take naps and. Yeah, I used to get those too before, before I got married. I mean those kinds. <laughs> I mean the happy ending kind. <laughs> I know that guy made me feel so good that I tried to hug him after and he was so freaked out. This Thai guy was like, oh my God. Oh. I've been going to this one place for like a year and I just realized that there, I just been putting my, my like shit in a, like on the floor, like in a heap, like my clothes or my purse on a, in a heap on the ground, like a heathen. And I just realized that there's drawers that you put your stuff in. And I was like, I asked my friend, I said, did you know that there were drawers that you were supposed to put your purse in your pants and your shirt? She goes, of course I'm not blind. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, it's dark and I, I mean, you know, I just didn't, that's me. Just kind of right. like, uh-huh. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I, we're going to deviate fast from that conversation. Um, so, so, and, and so on top of that, I also like to ask my, my guests what their, na- what their normal daily routine looks like. So as much as you can, somebody who's as busy okay. as you are, you know, what kind of a routine do you manage to keep throughout the week? Well, I still have a job editing. So three days a week, I edit. Mm-hmm. I'm in like uh, for an evolutionary psychology-based love advice columnist. Mm, cool. So I learn a lot of science. It's really interesting. So I do that from home. I work from home, which is, you know, I don't know how different that is from house arrest. It's, it feels very similar, you know? Not <laughs> like, for me, it doesn't. You know. <laughs> no, I never had house arrest. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm like, you know, they, you don't leave the house and you're afraid to leave the house. A secretary meeting on Monday nights. I have two sponsees. Um, I go to meetings. I call my sponsor. I do step work. You know, as much as I sort of, you know, give AA a hard time in my book, I'm very much about it. You know, it's like I'm, I mostly bash the fellowship because there are some like creepers. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of sick people getting better together. So it's like, of course, they put down booze and drugs. And what are they going to pick up? You know, sex mm-hmm. and gambling and, you know. So, I mean, I just think wherever there's like a power hierarchy, there's going to be like sexual predatory behavior, you know, so. um, I love that you just said that. I love that you just said that. I just had this conversation recently with one of my friends at the meeting. We were just talking about that. Yeah, because I've got the share Facebook private group 
the Share Recovery Network that's got over 4,200 people in it, right? All amazing. recovering addicts. And so yeah. she's like, it's amazing how, you know, people have a tough time going to meetings. They go, look, to be honest with you, they're, they feel safer inside the private group, the Facebook group, because there's no creepers, right? They go yeah. to, we, yeah. we, we, we encourage them to go to meetings because I'm lonely yeah. and I'm feeling like I'm in a relapse or, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on the brink. And then we're like, go yeah. to a meeting. And if they're a girl in her 20s and good looking, they, oh, come, they, they come back going, I just had some guy like creeping on me. Or, yeah. you, have, or you have them yeah. going, you know, I spilt more drugs than uh, you did. Oh, God, right? You see All what I'm that saying? Kind of bullshit. Of course. Well, that's the weird part about the program is like, you know, there's this weird reverse pride of like, how low was your bottom? There's a pride in how low your bottom was. There are people who are like, well, I just drank and I got a DUI. Do I belong here? I didn't shoot Coke in my neck. You know, it's like, you know, I'm serious. But it's like, you know, that sexual predatory behavior happens in every, it's, well, we see it in Hollywood. It's really happening now in Ooh, Hollywood. We see it, Jesus. you know, it's, you know, it's in the military. It's in, it's, it's in universities, wherever it's, it's everywhere. And AA is a microcosm of the real world. And probably more the sicker people. No one's like going in there on their winning streak. They're not like, I got it together. I'm going to sit in, you know, shitty, you know, church basements and drink undrinkable coffee with people who, you know, can't stop drinking. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, no one's, you know, it's so. Um, but I mean, so there's a funny part in my book where I got this black lesbian sponsor and I was like r fucking a lot of people in the rooms because you know, you want validation and you want to check out. And when you're newly sober, you're just, you're in so, you're so uncomfortable. So, you know, everyone's smoking and everyone's, you know, so it's like, and uh, she just was like, you only go into gay meetings and women's meetings, baby. And I was like, well, how am I going to get laid doing that? <laughs> and she's like, you not, you're going to concentrate on recovery. And I'm like, well, that sounds boring. And um, so I was going to all women's meetings <laughs> and this man walked in and the, all the women goes, excuse me, but this is a women's meeting. And she's like, I, I am a woman. And it was like a very butchy lesbian. And I was like, hello. And I totally, I'm so not gay. I completely crushed out on her and she wouldn't have anything to do with me. She was just like, oh my God. She's like, you're crazy, you're straight, you're a newcomer. I'm like, so you're saying I've got a chance here. <laughs> you know, we'll just fixate on, we'll fixate on anything. Anything, anything. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I'm not even gay. And I'm like, oh my God, she can fix cars and she'll listen to Tori Amos and she'll eat ice cream at night and I'll get a backpack and move to San Francisco and, you know, whatever. Oh, I was like all about it. I'm like, I'll watch the L word. I can, I can change. Be what you want. God. Oh, man. That is so... I love it. I love uh, it. Brutal uh, honesty. It's so true. Uh, we come into oh, these rooms and we, you put down the drugs, you put down the alcohol, and you're trying to fix on everything else. Coffee, donuts, sex, food, you know, whatever. You know, gambling. Oh, yeah. You go off it's the... It's all the same thing, yeah. though. Mm -hmm. It's all of like... How do I check out? And I mm -hmm. have this line in my book where I'm like, you know, I figured out the sort of recipe, the formula to my addiction. I put something in my body and I change my feelings. It doesn't matter if it's a, a Xanax or a donut or a dick. You know what I mean? It's like all the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, how do I check out? How do I check out? You I know? love it. And it's like, beautiful, so, beautiful. And people are like, whoa. You know, I see that meeting and they're like, whoa. 
Well, like, you can, really? In, oh, in my meetings, you would have them rolling in the aisles. We have some real twisted meetings over here. They're beautiful. Absolutely That's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Like yeah. Shit. I don't like that. No. It's like, really? We were people who were shooting dope in our fucking feet. Like, let's get real. Let's not. Like, we listen. We had a couple of business meetings where they tried to take the f word. They tried to take cursing out of the meetings. Oh it got voted out, and it was one of the good. nastiest fights you would even imagine. That's so and you, stupid. Yeah, if you can't say fuck in a meeting, then you know you need to go somewhere else. Yeah, it's you know not I mean? church. Yeah, this ain't church. This this is yeah not, yeah, yeah yeah. Okay, yeah. I love it. We're we're on the same page here. All right, so. Cool. We're going to start diving into your story, but before I let you go into your complete story, I want you to tell us real quick about the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how it made you feel. Okay, the first time I drank, I was 19, and I was in college, and I drank, you know, Greyhounds, and I fell down, and I laughed, and it was fine. I didn't have, like, that feeling of, like, (gasps) you know, but the first time I did crystal meth... (laughs) At 24, you know, actually it was the second time. The first time I made crystal meth, it made me feel kind of grindy and weird. And I was like, ew, I don't like that. But of course, you know us. It's like, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to try it 45 more times. So I tried it again. And the second time I had that click. And I thought, oh, I want to feel like this forever. I feel normal. I feel pretty enough. I have energy. I'm not depressed. I'm creative. I'm confident. Oh, this is, you know, this is it. And that sort of vortex opened up inside me. And I just, that was it. Oh, man. Yeah. Beautiful. That's what I was, that was what I was looking for right there, Amy. All right. So uh, you are all warmed up. So it's time for me to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, your battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage you caused in your life Ooh. when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your Which journey. Time? <laughs> and then your <laughs> then your your rock bottoms and then your journeys into recovery up until today. So, Amy, please take it away. Okay. Like I said, I just had five years. I was introduced to the program at 24. I really didn't like drinking because I blacked out immediately. And um, I, it made me very, very out of control and violent and naked and scary. And so I would be like, uh. So I preferred drugs where at least I could sort of stay sort of cogent. Um, I really liked crystal meth. It made me, I didn't, a lot of people fuck on it. I didn't do, I I was celibate during my whole crystal period. I was like, I was a tweaker. I mean, I was a collager. I liked like refinishing furniture and, you know, taking apart electronics and stuff like that. I always knew I was a drug addict and I was sort of okay with that. And I made peace with the fact that like, I was going to need this to be on the planet to be okay, to be in my skin. Um, I have a lot of alcoholism in my family, a lot of addiction in my family, a lot of mental illness in my family. I've been in six rehabs. Um, I've been in four psych wards. Uh, When I use, I end up in the ER or I try and kill myself within weeks. I've gotten large periods of sobriety, like years, and, um, and relapsed. And knowing that it wouldn't be different, which is really scary. You know, but just thinking, I can't, I can't feel this. I think that, um, you know, it, it escalated as it does. You know, I think it was in my second rehab that I relapsed three days out and um, I started shooting. I started doing intravenous drugs, which is like a whole other ball of wax. And by this point, I already had epilepsy from crystal meth abuse. And, you know, you shouldn't really shoot coke when you have epilepsy. I mean, shooting coke, you can have a seizure anyway, but especially when you have epilepsy, it's like double the chance. And I tell this story a lot because it's so outrageous, but it's so true. 
So I'd shoot Coke and I'd have a seizure. And instead of thinking, hey, you know, you shouldn't shoot Coke with a seizure disorder, I shot Coke wearing a bike helmet because then I thought if I crack, if I fall over, I won't crack my head open. And it made perfect sense. I was like, you know, shooting Coke, it's a high impact sport. I wear protective gear. It made total sense to me at the time because that's the nature of addiction is like, how do I get what I want and avoid all the consequences? Um, I had seven years without the program. Uh, you can do it. I was extremely unhappy and I didn't grow. And I don't think A is the only way to get sober. It's the way that worked for me. I'm really an asshole without that sort of like moral compass and that plan of how to behave in the world. I'm just innately selfish and entitled. So I grew up uh, pretty wealthy in Beverly Hills. I went to the best schools and summer camps. And, you know, my parents split when I was two. From a very early age, I had that feeling that everyone talks about of like not being enough and being on the outside and feeling weird and I mean, bottoms, there's been so many bottoms. I get, the real bottom happened and was, you know, we're talking about get, you know, having people, finding things to fix us. I didn't want to fix myself and I did not want to be self-supporting. So I had a trust fund for many years and then I married this rich guy and I thought he's going to fix me. He's going to take care of me. And uh, I relapsed in that marriage on Oxycontin that they'd given me for shoulder injury. And I thought, oh, I don't like opiates. I'll be fine. But of course, once that veil goes up between you and the world, you know, your, your allergy and your obsession kicks in and you're like, oh my God, I want to, you know, forget it. This is it. And uh, I pulled a knife on him on Christmas uh, of 2011. And he called the cops on me as he should have. And I got arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And I went to jail. Wow. Yeah. My parents were so proud. It's yeah, it was, it was, you know, I was magna cum laude. I mean, this was the last thing they ever thought would happen to me. I'd never been arrested before. Uh, drugs make me into a monster. I mean, whether I would have done that or not without being high, I have no idea. I would, I really hope not. I was abusive in that marriage. I wasn't a good wife. I will admit that. I went to jail and eventually lost everything. Uh, my marriage, my sanity, my sobriety, you know, I ended up in the, I tried to kill myself for the third time. I ended up penniless in the psych ward, you know, went into my sixth treatment center, relapsed there, got sent to another sober living, relapsed there. Um, and finally, when sort of no one, you know, my father said to me, you've been draining me financially and emotionally for years. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You know, call me when you have good news or don't call me. And I think that when everyone stopped trying to fix it for me and I had to face really the full consequences of my actions and take care of myself financially and also do 240 hours of community labor, which is not community service. Community labor is like, you know, sweeping trash. So it's like me and like 40 Mexican guys. And they're like, what you here for, Weta? I'm here for a DUI. And I'm like, um, I'm here for domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They're like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> and I had more time than anyone else. I was like one of the only people there for assault. It was so humbling. I mean, it was really exhausting. And no one would talk to us except for bums. They were just like, like homeless drunk people would be like, good morning. And everyone else was like, you guys are criminals. And you're like sweeping human shit on the sidewalk. And um, I was living in a sober living. Yeah. I was living in a sober living for two and a half years. 
and writing and going through a horrible divorce and going, did a year of domestic violence and going through the whole criminal court thing. And, uh, I just had this shift and it was, you know, I was sweeping the streets one day. I remember this and I was feeling really sorry for myself because I'm in my forties and I was like, I used to have everything and meh, 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 you know, and I thought, wait a second, this is your fault. This is all, you know, the consequences of your decisions and your actions. And this can be the best thing that ever happened to you or it can be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And you get to decide what that is. Like there are lessons here. Do you want to embrace the lessons? You know, it was like, I was like, I don't ever, you know, my whole thing was I never wanted to take care of myself. And the universe was like, oh, really, bitch? Okay, here, I'm going to take everything from you and you're going to learn how to fucking take care of yourself. And so I babysat for $10 an hour. I did whatever I needed to do to make money, you know, and while I was sweeping the streets. And um, it created a shift in me. It created compassion. All the things I thought would never happen to me, someone like me, happened to me. And uh, when, and then I, you know, and then I wrote the book because I finally sort of had an arc. It was like I'd had a real shift. Like that spiritual awakening came from sleeping bumpo. I, I don't know what to say. Like that really was. <laughs> I can't imagine not thing. having a spiritual awakening. Yeah, you got to. Otherwise, you're just like, you know, you come. I was like, I'd come home. I had leaves in my hair. And, you know, I was just filthy. And it's, I mean, it was exhausting. And, you know, all the girls in my sober living were just like, oh, my God, my spray tan is too dark. And like, you know, this guy on Facebook, you know, blocked me. And I was like, oh, my God, shut up. I've been sweeping syringes and used condoms and shit for eight hours in the sun. Oh, God. I'm a working man. I want, you know, silence and a, you know, a sandwich and a blowjob. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't, it just shifted everything. You know, before I was like, I need that Mark Jacobs bag. And then I was just like, please let me get through this day of community labor. You know, it just, you know, it just shifted my entire perspective on everything. Um, and, that was this sobriety and it's been completely different from any other sobriety because I got really humbled on a level I've never been humbled before. And I don't, you know, when this heartbreak came, I mean, of course the pain was so great. Heartbreak is terrible. And the first, my first thought was, Oh, I got I got to kill myself. Oh, and my second thought was like, I got to use. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to do what normal people do. We're going to feel our feelings. And I cried a sea of tears and I lost 15 pounds and I started smoking again. And I was like, you know, but I got through it and I didn't pick up and I was like, okay, you know, normal people have heartbreak and they don't put a fucking needle in their eye. You know what I mean? Like, let's get real. Like, so I just wasn't willing to burn my life to the ground again. And, uh, plus I had a recovery memoir coming out, you know, can you imagine? Right. It's like, hey, you know, our author couldn't be with us, but she's Skyping in from her eighth rehab. Amy, are you there? You know what I mean? Like, how horrible. Like, how mortifying, you know? Um, just, I mean, it took me like, yeah, I just couldn't do it to my publisher. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it to my family. And I couldn't do it to myself. I mean, as you get older, your body can't handle it the way that, you know, it's, it's a miracle I'm alive. Like, but people read my book and they're like, it's crazy that she is actually still alive, let alone sober. What is the craziest 
you know, I mean, we've got the picture, right? I mean, that was really bad when you're when you're sweeping up people's shit and yeah. and use condoms and syringes, and you've you know you get home smelling like ass every single day, uh, and you get you know just buckets of humility that just get poured all over you. Um, that's obviously one of one of the worst of it. But what were some of the some of the moments where you were just you were high, where you really fucked up, and you know you knew you were caught in a tailspin, right? And you know it was one of those moments where you're like, I got to get out of this thing. I got to get out of this thing, or I'm going to die, right? Like, uh, take us into that pit of despair. One of one of your pits of despair. What were one of those moments? God, there are so many. I mean, honestly, there was you know, there was staying up for 17 days on crystal meth and thinking that you you know. And writing a new Bible, okay, mm. based on Emerson and Nietzsche. Yeah, thinking that you had the mathematical equation for God. Hey, hello. <laughs> it's a bottom, you know. It is a bottom. Um, I remember being on Crystal and just, I'd stay up for five days in a row, and I would just lay in the bathtub all night, smoking speed, crying. And I knew I had to get clean, and I was afraid. I was so depressed already on Crystal, I thought that if I got off it, that the despair would overwhelm me and I'd kill myself. And, uh, what happened was I walked into a market and I woke up in an ambulance and, uh, the, you know, the paramedics said, did you do any drugs? And I said, obviously some really shitty ones. Cause here I am, you know, such a dick, right? <laughs> Always such a dick, just such a dick. <laughs> um, and that was the first seizure. And then I didn't have seizures for, till I was about five years clean living in Paris. And then they started up again and I, yeah, grandma epilepsy. And I have to say, I really remember that moment of shooting cocaine in my kitchen and having two seizures back to back. Like I shot up and I had a seizure, but it wasn't a full seizure. I didn't lose consciousness. And I was like, okay, that was just too strong of a shot, just more water, you know? And I just shot up another thing and I did it again. And I guess I had called someone in the program and was like, I'm going to fucking die. Like I need help. And I shot up again and I had another grandma seizure. And someone from the program came over, but I didn't hear him because I was having a seizure. And he, um, he came in and uh, he threw away 30 needles and flushed $200 worth of cocaine. And he walked into the, my, my house and he said, it smells like death in here. Ugh. He's Ugh. like, you, this could have been one of those moments yeah. where, you know, remember that girl, Amy? Well, she overdosed and died last night. She's like, he was like, it absolutely smells like fucking death in here. And I was like, and uh, I started going to meetings. I'd been very resistant to AA prior to that also, you know. Now, did, had you had the resistance? Was it based on some negative experiences you had? Or was it no, just it was the just cliches? Based on, yeah, just based on, you know, I'd been introduced when I was 24 and I'm 48 now. So it's like. You know, back then when you're a tweaker and you're at an AA meeting, they are, you know, they're like, are you an alcoholic or not? They're like, really? And I start crying, you know, that kind of stuff. And I thought it was creepy and I thought it was super God centered. And I was like, this is a creepy cult. And it's like, you know, it wasn't until I remember this girl called me. My friends were like, you're going to die. You're going to die shooting cocaine in your house by yourself. You're going to die. And she had a girl call me who had three years at the time whose parents had bought 
a mortuary. I had bought a, a plot at the cemetery. They were so convinced she was going to die. Because so she Lord. had had, she'd stroked out smoking crack a bunch of times. And um, I never met her. And she called me and she just told me her story. And I could hear her. And she said, do you want to meet me in a meeting? And I was like, okay. And I met her in a meeting, totally arms, all bandaged up, covering like a zillion track marks. Like, even though I have really big veins, I was really a bad junkie. It's like, I was really bad at it. <laughs> and I showed up at the meeting and I heard, I was like, start crying. I just was like, oh my God, this is me. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, yeah I could hear it. And I'm sure that was what they were saying 20 years prior, but I couldn't hear it then. So, you know, I'm curious and wrote some stuff down here. How much jail time did you have? I only had five hours. You know, I'm, I'm I, you know, my mom bailed me out. I, so this is, this is actually a funny story. So it's Christmas and only real assholes get arrested on Christmas. Okay. So I was so high. I mean, as soon as he called the cops, my ex called the cops, I took even more drugs. Cause I was like, well, if the cops are coming, I gotta be really relaxed, you know? And of course, like, that's just like the worst thing to do ever, you know? And they're like, you have the right to remain silent. And I'm like, I was like, Law and Order is my favorite show. I know the drill. It's like, oh, great. You know what I mean? Like, what a dick. I love it. It's such a dick. You know, and they put me in the back of the car and they handcuff me. And I'm just trying to talk my way out of it. I'm like, I haven't got the gift of the gab. I'm like, maybe we were just jousting, you know? And I'm like trying to just like do anything. And I'm like, I'm I'm from Beverly Hills. I went to college. Crying. And they just wouldn't have any of it. So I called, you know, so you're put in a, a cell, they take your mugshot and you're put in a cell. And I was in shock. I mean, I was really high and I was totally in shock. And uh, I remembered that one of my old sponsees had become a bail bondswoman. So I called her and I hadn't talked to her in a couple of years. And I was like, hey, you know, she's like, oh my God, my old sponsor, Merry Christmas. And I was like, I'm in jail. <laughs> she was like, oh. So she arranged with my mom and they bailed me out um, within five hours. Oh, wow. That's what I would, I'm going to write this down here. This is what we call a God shot. Yeah. That is one of those moments. Um, You know, you know, you were talking about in there writing the book, right? At what point in all of this craziness did you start writing this book? Let's see. Um, the book ends with me being three years sober. I guess I've been writing for the fix. and I've been chronicling all of my sort of relapses and psych words and all everything that was going on. No shit. You know, everything oh, awesome. that was going on the whole time. Yeah. So, um, and people, lo- lo- you know, and also, so it, it was like, it was just time. I mean, people, fixed readers were like, you, I, I want more, like write a book. And so I had been chronicling a lot of this stuff for years, like my depression and my drug use and my suicide attempts. And so I had that stuff and I had my fix articles and I was allowed to use pieces of fixed pieces. And, um, you know, I was introduced to an agent through another sober person and he loved my stuff and was like, pitch me your idea. And I said, it's framed around community labor and, you know, uh, it's like I'll see something on you know, sweeping the streets and it'll, you know, flash me back to another time in my life using. 
And uh, so it's not a linear memoir because those are boring, first of all. And also, if I was going to do a linear memoir, it's 20 years. Like, oh, my God. People would just be like, does she ever get sober? Like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, kill me. You know, and it's funny, too, because I knew there's really, really dark stuff in there. Like, I took a box cutter to my wrist and stuff at one, at one point. I slipped my wrist with a box cutter. And oh, So you did one of those. You actually went. Oh, yeah. I went for it. You, you tried. You, another, you were serious. Yeah. 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 And there was another time I took like, you know, 30 phenobarbital and was like, bye. You know, yeah. I was super unstable. So those are two nasty, nasty attempts that, you know, would take a lot of people out. So what, what, what went wrong in the, in the attempt? Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I'm such, I've been, well, I've been on epilepsy meds for so long and I was such a hardcore drug addict that all those, that even those 30 pills, they were monitoring me and all my like, uh, major organs were fine. Like I was loaded out of my tree, but they were like, we don't even need, like they took two hours before they even, uh, charcoaled me. They were like, she's a fucking drug horse. Like, Oh my God, look at this tolerance. Um, also with the box cutter, I went this way and I guess you're supposed to go that way. I wasn't really, you know, and then they stitched me up and whatever. And, uh, uh, I just didn't know how to be on the planet, you know? I just did not yep. know how to be, I did not know how to function. I did not, I was, did not know how to navigate in the world. I didn't know how to make my own money. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I felt very overwhelmed by my feelings. Um, I just, I just didn't, you know, I didn't have the manual. I didn't have the manual. And um, I mean, I don't know why I'm still alive after, you know, I also, you know, one after one psych ward visit, I had a, they screwed up my seizure meds and I had a seizure and I fell backwards and I cracked my head open and I came to and they're stitching my head closed. Yeah. And I was in the hospital for eight days. That's wild. Wild. Yeah. Okay. I know. It's gnarly. You know, yeah. 50 and 51, 50 is not fun. I mean, that's a big part of, it. I think normal, you know, not like for, for us, it is a lot of people have been like, oh yeah, I've been in the psych ward. But when you date like normies and you're like, oh, I was, you know, in the nut house, they're like, okay, check please. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not a normal part of their, their experience. Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend that for a first date topic. Probably want to avoid that. One. <laughs> yeah, but now everything's out. It's in my book. Everyone knows everything. Yeah. But now you know that you're, I mean? now that you're an author and <laughs> there's oh, a book out, there's, no there's a lot of more, there's a lot of grace. There's a lot more grace. You're like, I love that part in your book, you know? I know. God, it's like, oh, <laughs> Well, I love and, that part in your book when you fuck that guy at the comedy store and you told you did home in the afterwards. It's like, oh, God. Don't you want me to meet your parents? I'm great girlfriend material. You know what I love the most about your story is the awareness, all right? So the awareness and the recognition that there's so many lessons that you needed to yeah. learn, so many lessons, and you actively went seeking those lessons, right? Eventually. I mean, I tried to avoid them as, you know, I knew what they were and I was like, I'm going to dodge this shit. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. But that's my, I think the universe, you know, we're here to learn certain lessons and you can't avoid them. You, 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 you know, I met my destiny on the road I took to avoid it. Mm -hmm. I really did. And it's like, you know, the wake up calls get gnarlier and gnarlier and gnarlier until you finally go, okay, you know, fuck. I will do this. I will learn this. I will change this. 
And, you know, I needed to drop all that entitlement, you know, it was like, and I needed to take care of myself. And uh, so it was like, yeah, I always had awareness. I don't know if that was helpful or made it more painful, you know, Mm. especially also having time in AA and then going out and using, wow, that's a bummer, (laughs) You, you know, like, you know, when you're using with a head full of AA, ooh. You know better. You know how full of shit you are. Yes. It's, a, it's just a miracle that we've survived all these things. But my point of view is always the same. If you're still alive, you have a message. You have a, you have a, powerful, marriage, um, a powerful message that you need to share to all the other the people in recovery. They need Absolutely. to hear these stories to know yeah. that just like you did, just like when you went to that meeting, you know, after going to AA and like, like, this is not cool. And then all of a sudden connecting with someone that was telling your story and you going, I belong here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that for at least the feedback I'm getting from the book is like, people appreciate my brutal honesty. You know, I'm really raw. It's like, I don't, I'm not trying to look good in the book. I do, I talk about some really like that stuff where I was like, I don't want to write about that. Like really mortifying sexual shit that I did in my sex addiction. I was like, uh, I was like, that's the shit you need to put in the book. That's going to help someone. And I did. And it's like, I mean, if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, come on, <laughs> you're not, try- you're not being honest enough, you know? So people seem to really, they're just like, thanks for keeping it real. Like, thanks for your rawness and being authentic and, you know, uh, and your humor because, it's hard, you know, you got to laugh at some of this stuff. Otherwise you're just, you know, it's the only way to get through. And also I think the fact that I, I was such a retread, you know, it's never too late. If you're alive, you can still get this. Absolutely. I really believe that. Yes. I really believe that. There's 100%. never, if you are alive, you absolutely can still get, get recovery. Yes. You can get sober. Yes. Absolutely. So what I want to know is, you know, you've got five years now. I want to know what it was like that first year, because you talk a lot. I'm sure in the book, there's a lot of that first year stuff. Uh, You talk about your your black gay lesbian sponsor. Was that right? Yes. Okay. Well, gay lesbian is the same. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was a little redundant. No, it's actually very redundant. Okay, so 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 you've got so you've got this experience, right? So tell us about that first year and and all the craziness. The first year was awful. I mean, the first year is awful. It is awful. It's I never had a pink cloud. I've never had a pink anything. Like I just you know, it was real. I cried every fucking day. It was so fucking uncomfortable. And there were times when I would just, you know, have to go to the movies and sit on my hands. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't someone who was just like, it was lifted immediately and things were wonderful. It was like that first year of this five years, I was in a sober living and um, it was a wonderful sober living. And it was the opportunity I got to really connect to and love women. Because before that, I didn't really like chicks. I was like, I'm a dude, you know, inside and all my friends were dudes. And I was like, chicks, uh," you know, and um I really, we had like a real sisterhood and that was awesome. Um, I was very depressed. I mean, I was, like I said, I was going through a divorce and I was going through a criminal case. That was really when my, I think my sex addiction was at its worst too. And so then I started going to SLAW and SAA and all that kind of stuff um, because I just. What was your experience in, in SLA? 
I don't, that program didn't, I mean, I don't like that program. That program for me was too, first of all, they're like, you can't talk to men for 30 days. I'm like, well, that's not going to work for me. You know, it's like, you know, and um, it just, it was a little extreme and it felt like it pathologized things too much. And um, I found it a little triggering, honestly. I would like leave a meeting and I'd be hooked, setting like a hookup. And um, it's hard to take that whole thing seriously as like this life-threatening illness, like when you've like, you know, overdosed and died. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I'm like, really, guys? You know? So, um, and then I end up in SAA, which is Sex Addicts Anonymous. And it's like me and 12 dudes in a room, you know? <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, they're like, oh, a woman, that's so great. Welcome. And I just cried through the whole, you know, and they're talking about prostitutes and jacking off and Craigslist. And I'm like, I don't really relate. I just want love. And I just, I don't know. I've met this guy in Tinder and he spooned me and then he never called. And I just, you know, I just didn't, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know and my sponsor was just like you know this is all part of your alcoholism just work the steps and all that other shit will fall away and that's what happened really you know i also hit a bottom with that and that's in the book no no pun intended where i was just like i can't do this anymore this is so demeaning and i just didn't recognize myself and it's like you know talk, yeah i just ugh. Uh, just now I don't even recognize that person. It creeps me out so much. So when you finished the book, how much time did you have when you finished the book? I turned it in last November and it was published this past September. So I had, I guess, a little over three years, maybe. Okay. All right. So you were able to chronicle through the drug use and the rehabs and the meetings and the sobriety and the first part of it and the sex education. It's got, it's jam packed with 20. Oh, it's quite a ride. The book. Yeah. There's, it moves very fast. Well, you know, our listeners are the ones that I listen to. One of their favorite reads is Sarah Heppola's blackout. You it's know, the same. We have the same publisher. Okay. So, so they're, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. They're, they're big wow. on these. Um, I can't wait to get the audio version. I didn't know there was an audio version. Um, and that's how I listened yeah, to it. Yeah, I narrated that's... it too. So that's pretty cool. Okay. You, know, you get to hear my manly voice and all my bad impressions. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the more fun you can have in recovery, the better. You have to laugh. You have to. Otherwise, like why even be here? You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, I, my using was never fun. I was never like a party girl, like, oh, I'm, you know, at, you know, Paris Hilton's doing coke. I was always like in my house, like by myself, snorting meth or shooting up by myself. It was never a party. It was always, you know, self-medication and slow suicide. It was never fun. You know, no. I missed that part. It dipped, you know, it just, it never was. I could never moderate enough to be, you know. You can't show up to a party with like a bunch of syringes and be like, what's up, guys? You know, I hope people are like, oh, my God. You know, it's just it was always really dark. Some of us some of us have a, a natural progression that leads into it. And some of us just are a rock star from go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just and, like and a rocket. As soon as I picked up, it was like, bam. And I was like and then I just struggled a lot with it. Well, and I remember the first time, like for me, I had spent a good 10 years of my life, at least the first 10, the first 10 years of, of me drinking was just the alcohol and weed. 
And, mm. you know, I could moderate that to a point. I mean, right. I was a blackout drinker and those were, I, you know, I ended up getting DUI and, and that kind of a thing, right? But I never really categorized myself as an alcoholic. And the first time I did right. cocaine, I was well, using every single day. Like it, it went from, course, right? it was that yeah. one, it was that moment where it was like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Of course. That's what, but that's what, I mean, I've heard that a lot, that Coke is what brings people into the realms and fucking just like, Dude. you know, because you can drink even more and blah, blah. But like, I never liked weed ever, but it's like, I still smoked it and I would smoke it every day, even though I hated it, you know, because I just wanted to feel different. Yep. I just wanted to feel different than the way I felt. Yep. And I thought I could do it on one of my relapses because I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> like I can smoke weed. I hate it. It'll be fine. And of course, it's never fine. It's just never fine. <laughs> I even remember wanting to start my own religion. You know, oh, so no. when I heard that in your story is about this high on cocaine or this oh, in general. Oh no, four days in a drug-induced psychosis, and I'm and I call my my future father-in-law and tell him that I wanted to start a new religion. Oh God! Oh God! Dude, he talk. still let you marry his daughter. I, That's. Uh... I still remember his wedding toast. And he was, <laughs> he was wasted. He was, he was drunk. It was the first time I'd ever seen him drink, you know, uh, and he drank on our wedding and he was like, he's at the closing part of his speech was, and you know, if anything goes wrong, I'm an attorney. So <laughs> I can, yeah, it was like, <laughs> like, I remember Yikes. my sister, my sister going, oh my, God. my sister going, was that a bad joke or was he serious? Yeah, was, oh my God. <laughs> terrifying. Oh, it's just fucking priceless. So, so um, I'm going to start closing up, Amy. And okay. what I want to do is I want to ask you some questions about your early recovery. And I want you to respond with some answers that you can, where you can inspire our newcomers. Are you ready? Okay. Of course. All right. Wonderful. What was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Thinking that I could moderate it. Um, it's much easier to just be abstinent than it is to moderate it. It's too hard to moderate it. Um, I kept thinking that I could moderate it. And, uh, I think that's hard also for people who are bingers who don't use every day. It's harder to, you know, also it's really easy to pick out stuff in the rooms that you don't like people, personalities, that kind of stuff. Ooh, they said, God, they said my creator, they said our father and I'm Jewish and it's like, you know, take what works for you and throw away the rest, look for the similarities, that kind of stuff. I mean, I really, yeah, for me, it was like, also, I just, I wanted to do it my way. And I didn't, I was like, you know, why do I have to get a commitment and sweeping, you know, putting chairs away? What does it have to do with staying clean? And it's like, it's very karate kid, wax on, wax off. You know, you, it's like, you think you're, wa you're waxing someone's car, but you're learning fucking karate. You know, you're learning humility. You're learning discipline. You're learning how to show up. You know, that kind of stuff. That's perfect. That was actually yeah. absolutely perfect. You know, um, I hope you guys were paying attention. Rewind this. Right? That's exactly what it's all about. Right? It's about the wax on, wax off. Stop asking so many questions. Stop yeah, asking why it. and just ask how. That's it. You know, put the, like they say, like the old school guys say, you know, take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. Right. Cause we have, you know, we yeah. want to complain about everything and find the, look at all the differences. You know, letting your feelings. It's like, I really, mm -hmm. feelings aren't facts. I mean, I hate to say it, but it was like, 
you know, it's like, fuck your feelings and do what you need to do. You, you know, if you're waiting to feel ready to do something to get sober or go to a meeting or go to the gym, you're going to wait forever. You take the action. It changes your feelings. You know, there's an element of cognitive behavioral therapy to AA. You know, yes. it really is acting yourself in a right thinking. Yes. And it's like we get so caught up in our heads and our feelings. And, it, you know, it's just you can't listen to that shit. <clears throat> you know, and the best part, I think, also of the of the program for me is, you know, well, besides the steps, which have totally changed my life and changed my personality completely and made me into a good partner and re- made me realize I wasn't who I thought I was. And I mean, it's free versus buying, you know, Peru for a fucking therapist, you know, over 10 years of analysis or whatever, um, <laughs> is the fact that there's fellowship. There's other people that get it. They're not judging you. You know, those are the people that will help you move. Those are the people that are going to fucking, you know, take you to the airport. Those are the people you can call at three in the morning crying and they're going to be there for you, you know? And it's like that fellowship of other people who think the way that you think is fucking amazing. <laughs> you know, it really is. It's like, I love, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to feel alone. You don't, you're not alone anymore. And that's a big, that was a big part of my thing was feeling really lonely and special, special snowflake syndrome. You know, I'm different. No, you're not bitch. <laughs> terminally unique you know yeah that's that was a big that was a big one for me too well i have mental illness and i'm this and i'm it's like shut the fuck up and just do this and it's like you know and if a doesn't work for you there's refuge recovery there's fucking all kinds of different things there's smart recovery there's harm i mean harm reduction i would have never that would have never worked for me but it's like just you know forget it like i don't even under that concept is like huh yeah but but for some people it works it's like you know but just get into action. I think that's the, the big thing is like, you know, you take action over and over and over again, and it actually changes your neural pathways. And it's like, I mean, one sponsor said to me, you know, I used to be very into my truth, on, you know, and I was like, well, I don't feel, that doesn't feel true for me, you know? And it's like, and my one sponsor said, you don't have to be a good person. You just have to act like one. Ooh. No one knows the fucking difference. And it's like, that really clicked for me. It's like, you know, action is character. You are the way you behave. No one gives a shit about your intentions. They care about your action. Sorry, I meant no. Did you show up or did you not show up? Did you do it or did you not do it? No one cares about your intentions. You don't get a pass because you want, you you know, you don't get a pass for being an asshole because you have alcoholism either. <laughs> so it's like, so that was the big thing was just like, you know, acting like the person I wanted to be and eventually you become that person. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful. A lot of takeaways there, listeners. So I hope you're listening, taking notes. All right. So at what point, Amy, did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, where you realized for the first time that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but had developed the hope that you could recover? Well, I always knew I was powerless over drugs and alcohol. That was never, ever a question. I just didn't care. I was like, I'm going to die this way. And that's fine. I like, I surrendered to my addiction. I was like, oh, I'm an addict. And I almost was like proud of it in that weird way. You know what I mean? Look at my track marks. I mean, I had recovered before and I'd had like three and a half years or four years or, you know, a year and a half. So I knew it was possible to recover. And I, I also believed other people like they had recovered. So you have to sometimes just believe that, you know, I think for me, my aha moment was really sweeping the streets. That moment where I just went, wait a second, I got to really reorient the way that I, I think about myself, 
who I am and how I relate to the world because this is shit's not working. You know, if, you know, it's like if no I'm 42, intended. you know what I mean? If I'm fucking 42, sleeping in a single cot, you know, a shared room for two and a half years, sweeping poo, like your way is not, you know what I mean? And I just thought, okay. And I just really just, you know, I got a really hardcore sponsor and got really involved and, uh, and got really humbled. That's what I needed. I needed to be really humbled. Absolutely. You know, I needed all those things that I thought I was, I was like, oh, that won't happen to me. You know, that I was immune. It's like, wow, all those things happened to me. Everything I judged, I became. Everything that I thought that wouldn't happen to me happened to me. And it's like the bottom kept, you know, it was like, the, it was like those magic rooms where you think there's a bottom and it drops out. It's like a false bottom. And then it's like another bottom. And then there's another, you know what I mean? It just got, it was like, and also people stopped fixing me. They were over it. They were just like, fuck you. You know, I'm done trying to fix you or do it for you. You do it for yourself. You're a smart girl. You can do it for yourself. And I needed that. I was lazy and I was frightened and I was entitled and I didn't think I could do things for myself. And so I got to a place where I had no choice. Beautiful. Beautiful. So tell us, uh, tell our listeners the best way to reach out to you, to find you and tell us a little bit about the book and where to find it. The book is a dark, funny addiction memoir with a happy ending. It's very graphic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's psych wards and sex and drugs and seizures and, you know, rehabs. And it's, you know, but it, and it's really funny also. Um, It's at Amazon all over the nation. Um, It's at Barnes and Noble. It's at Kobo. It's, you know. It's at Indie Bound. I think they even sell it on like the Target website. <laughs> um, um, I love it. You can find me on Twitter at Amy Dresner. I'm on Instagram uh, at Amy Dresner, which people are like, it's too many pictures of your cat. You're crazy and annoying. But it's like, you know, I also have book stuff there also. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I don't want to, you know, it's not like 75 pictures of me. Like I don't, you know, I just joined Instagram because my publisher was like, you need to join Instagram. Yes, I was like, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. you know. It's huge. Um, I like my cat. I don't know. I mean, I love my cat. You know, I think pets are very soothing for people in that are in recovery or if you or for loneliness and for when you live alone. You know, pets Pe- are awesome. People click on pets. They love yeah. cats right. and, and dogs. Like, yeah. Are they I mean, love it? You know, it's like there's fun. the pictures are really fucking funny. Colonel Puff Puff's hilarious, man. <laughs> Is that his real name? Yeah, yeah. Colonel Puff Puffs. How long <laughs> you had him? Did you name him when you were getting when you were still loaded? No. So I named. So I was like, he has a mustache, and I was like, oh my god, he looks like a colonel, and he's fluffy, and I was like, Colonel Puff Puff, and I thought I'd made it up. Where are you going? <laughs> Oh, here's a Colonel Puff Puff for you right here. This is Ruby. (laughs) Where is Colonel Puff Puff? He's like, fuck you, mom. Um, uh, I thought I made up the name and I thought I was so brilliant, but it's actually uh, my father's childhood soldier's doll's name from when he was a kid that was in Zorro the Gay Blade. Ah. My dad wrote Zorro the Gay Blade and in it is a line about Colonel Puff Puff. And, and that's the name of his doll when he was a kid, his soldier doll. And I thought I was look. At, I'm just like ripping off my dad. And I think I'm being so creative and brilliant, <laughs> right? Writers. <laughs> um, I have a Amy Dresner official page. Usually, I'll if you send me a Facebook request on Facebook, and we have a billion 
you know, sober people in common, or you send me a, a note and say, Hey, I heard you on it. Da, 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 da. I loved it. I'll probably accept it. You know? Yeah. Facebook sometimes is, yeah. You keep it a you little more I mean? private. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I do. I know. I know where um, you're at. I will have, uh, go ahead. Twitter, Twitter and, you know, on my, and my website, there's a, you can, you can contact That's, me through my website. That's amydresner.com. You can see pictures of the chain gang. You can see pictures of my dirty feet. You can see, <laughs> you can see the bad, like weird, creepy, dark penis art I did in rehab like, with syringes and knives. And oh my god, so I was so disturbed. <laughs> um, you know, dude, yeah. so wrong. <laughs> All right, what I will do is, what I will do, folks, is I will list. All of these links on the show notes, the website, the social media, the book link, everything. So go to the Share Podcast uh, show notes for Amy Dresner, and I will have all that information listed. All right. So, Amy, two more questions for you. Yes, um, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Something my dad said, and it's in my book, and it is that discipline creates stability. Stability doesn't create discipline. And that goes back to what I was talking about before, which is like waiting to feel okay to do something. It's that routine and that structure that creates that sort of evenness. Not You can't wait for the evenness. You create the evenness through the discipline. And it took me 20 years to get that. He said that to me and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Discipline creates it. But that's, that was, that's really key to me. Wow. I love it. Yeah, it's heavy. I know. It's so, so heavy, right? But it's so true. It's so true. It's very similar to the what we just talked about as well, which is you can't think your way into better acting. You have to of act course. your way into better thinking. You know, yeah. And the idea, the idea of discipline and stability being something that we seek, but one can't come before the other, which is... Yeah. A, you know, we're always waiting to feel okay before yeah, we do something. Right. You'll never feel ready. You will never feel okay. You do it and it changes the feeling. It took me so long to figure that out. And I'm not always perfect with it. Believe me. But who is? You know. That's why that's, but we have a sense of resilience. For those of us that got, went, that survived the battle with drugs and alcohol, yeah. we have a, such a high tolerance for pain. We're resilient people. So, oh, yeah. you know, we can take lumps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can take lumps. All right. So, number five, what is the best? Well, I'm sorry. Uh, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? When you get an urge to use, buy yourself 20 minutes. <laughs> because I'm serious. I'm serious. Because it will pass whether you use or not. And if you use, you're going to open up that fucking vortex and then you're going to be on a run. Take a bath. Watch something on Netflix. Jack off. Take your dog for a walk. You know, take a nap. Call someone. Whatever it is, the urge will pass within 20 minutes, whether you pick up or not. And I can't tell you how many times I've won, you know, it's like the urge has come and I just have sat through it and it passed. I'm like, woo, you know, it's like you can stay sober whether you want to or not. That's the key. You're not going to always want to be sober. There's going to be times when you're going to be like, fuck me. I want to get, you know, man, I do not want to be here. I want to be high. I want to be loaded. I want to, it's like, but it's like, again, all that, those feelings pass, urges pass, feelings pass, good stuff passes, bad stuff passes. It's all temporary. Buy yourself 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, man. Gold. You know, do your fucking laundry. I don't know. Organize laundry your, helps. You know, whatever. Like just 20 minutes. 
There is therapeutic value in doing laundry. I can't explain it. I like doing laundry. Yeah. There is something about making your bed and doing laundry yeah. that is therapeutic at a 10x level. Well, right? You know, messy bed, messy head. Mm-hmm. I look at, As I look at my totally messy bed right now, I can see it in the corner. <laughs> Fucking uh, bed that hasn't been made in weeks. Okay. Yep. Yep. Messy. You got to make your bed every day. Folks, do yourself a favor. Pick up Amy's book. It's, uh, uh, what a doozy. What a doozy. All right, folks. We have now reached the end of our show. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks for having me. You're awesome. This far <laughs> exceeded my expectations. Oh, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> so nice to have you laugh, too. Dude, how could you not? <laughs> I just we have to laugh. We yeah. gotta laugh at this stuff, you know. Don't take yourself too seriously. It's the only way to get through. Believe me, I mean that's why, you know, when I was sweeping poo, I was like, I gotta find some way to laugh at this because otherwise it's just gonna be like <laughs> Folks, <laughs> we have now reached the end of the shit show. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> and as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program. 